the unspoken truth. There's so much going on in America today that you're not supposed to talk about. It's happening all around. It's so important, but no, it should not even be acknowledged. Well, we don't play by those rules. And I was blown away by a little moment in Friday night's senatorial debate between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. Listen closely to the question. It happens quickly. This is according to the CDC. Homicide is the leading cause of death for African-American youth. Did you hear that? Homicides are the leading cause of death for African-American youth. It's true. And she cited the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. Up until the age of 19, 35% more than of deaths. And it continues all the way up to the age of 44. It's the number one cause of death. This is, to me, astonishing. And across all age groups in the African-American community, well, let's see. It falls to number five. That is still very, very significant. Compare that to the cause of death for whites. And let's take a look. All ages, it's not even on the list. It's not on the list. And this is really important that it's happening and no one seems to want to do anything about it. They're all going to pretend this problem is manufactured and perpetuated by the police. It's not. Take a look. These are why the numbers are so high. This is a horrible knife fight that took place not too long ago in the Bronx, New York. The man in the red is about to die, stabbed to death. And his name, I believe, is, uh, let's put it up on the screen. He was 38 years old, Charles Moore. He died um, an hour or so later at the hospital, like blood. Saquon Lemons, the 27-year-old suspect, he is in custody now. Both individuals are black. And this is why the homicide rate is so high. Black on black crime. You know, they can say, they can pretend, Black Lives Matter can yell and scream that it's the police, but it is not. It is not. And why is this happening? Well, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, many years ago, do you know who he was? He was a senator from New York. In fact, he was very close to Hillary Clinton. Uh, he had the seat before she did. But he was known as a very fair man. He even worked for Republicans like Richard Nixon. And he also had one hell of a brain. And he was far from politically correct. He was just extremely intelligent, erudite. And he called it like he saw it. And he put out a major report. In 1965, he published this. It was called the Moynihan Report. Now, we don't use this word anymore, but it was called the Negro Family, the Case for National Action. And inside, there were some uh, shocking statistics. Take a look at this. Black children born out of wedlock, wedlock in 1965 was at 25%. Now, at the time, people just thought this was scandalously high, which it was. And in certain areas, it was even higher than this. Moynihan was even criticized for bringing it up, though. The New York Times quotes you today as uh, saying, you say that 44% of the children in Harlem are illegitimate. Now, how do you know that? Those are statistics in the New York City Department of Health, sir. Ten, ten health districts in central Harlem, the area with the, which the great American sociologist Kenneth Clark described in his Har-U report 
as having undergone a massive deterioration of the fabric of society and its institutions, and right under our prosperous noses that happened. That hasn't existed for 50 years. That's happened in the last 15 years in this America, and we've been sitting around thinking things have been getting better, and they haven't been getting better for those children. And I think we, I for one, if you think, see what people can face for the civil rights movement in the way of sheriffs, in the way of howling mobs in the way of the disapproval of their entire society. Well, I think, uh, I, I would hope certainly I'm willing to face the disapproval of a few uh, white liberals from Boston who think I shouldn't raise the subject because it's impolite. That is a great man of intellect and ability and courage and bravery. And also, by the way, he was a bit of a, a liberal himself back when that actually was a force for good. Now, it was a crisis then since... It's received less attention. Here he is on national television, and the problem's gotten worse. In the 1980s, uh, we had 50% of all black children were born out of wedlock. And now, today, the number hovers at around 70%. In a little while, we'll have Delano Squires from the Heritage Foundation. He just wrote a remarkable piece in Newsweek magazine about what this means and what's happening right now in America. You know, for a brief shining moment, we've talked about this before, Barack Obama seemed equipped to tackle this problem, seemed willing. When he made that famous Father's Day speech back when he was still a senator running for president, too many fathers are MIA, too many fathers are AWOL, may be true in many communities, but he said, uh, nowhere is it more true than in the African-American community. And people responded. White people, some liberals, white, black, didn't like this uh, direct, candid talk. But back then he was trying to seduce us. And he spoke a lot of truth. We need fathers to recognize that responsibility doesn't just end at conception. That doesn't just make you a father. What makes you a man is not the ability to have a child. Any fool can have a child. That doesn't make you a father. It's the courage to raise a child that makes you a father. So Black Lives Matter is now in full swing. And after George Floyd, it's all about uh, Black Lives Matter and police violence. And these are the founders of Black Lives Matter. Have you ever actually gone to their website or read some of the stuff that they talk about? It's not about uh, it's really actually not all that much about criminal justice. It's about taking apart the Western culture that's centered around the nuclear family. This is anti-family. They want people to live in villages. It's totally bizarre. Yeah, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirements by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another. And they are very fixated on the trans community for some reason. I don't get it. But people who wave Black Lives Matter flags and march in rallies, um, they don't really know any of this stuff. They don't care to know. They don't care to learn. It's much more, I guess, I guess it's easier. Maybe it's even more fun to be a victim. I don't know. And um, how to stop all this, how to make sure the mob doesn't come by your home or office. Do this.
I have directed our foundation to contribute 10 million US dollars to racial justice charities. We took a goal last year to double the number of level eight and level 10 um, black leaders that we had. We've been rooting out all of the racially insensitive language that's lived in all these kind of tech documentation, APIs and technology for a long time. And the unfinished work of racial justice and equality call us all to account now and always. The initiative will challenge the systemic barriers to opportunity and dignity that exist for communities of color and particularly for the black community. We as Caucasians, until we're willing to just, you know, pick up the baton and fight for our black African-American brothers and sisters, which they are as one human race, uh, we're shameful. We're just adding to it. You know, that's not what Barack Obama was actually talking about back then, right? No, he was talking about absent fathers and what a serious problem that is. None of this money that they're throwing around, none of this virtue signaling, none of this blaming the police is getting any closer to fixing. I guess it's a cultural problem. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how it started, but I know it can be fixed. Yes, we can move the needle on this, if we start being honest with each other, you know, in that Newsweek piece, uh, they point out that you can, in some cities, go through m many, many blocks, entire neighborhoods, and not find children living with both of their biological parents. It's, it's the best way to grow up. It really is. It's tough when you don't have two parents. Now, who's talking about this? We gotta go back to Daniel Patrick Moynihan, some outliers. Is LeBron James? No. No, 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 no. Is Barack Obama? Well, he did for a moment or two, but got bit by the left, and then he went back to making his billions. Oprah Winfrey? Well, she's, she's retired. Who's really ready to take on this kind of material, this kind of challenge? Who's really ready to start talking about problems in ways that they need to be talked about? Look how much African-American communities have suffered under democratic control. To those I say the following. What do you have to lose by trying something new like Trump? What do you have to lose? It's one thing we can do. So much needs to happen. But it's so interesting that it's been almost 60 years since America had a real, honest, and open conversation about the issues regarding the black family and black-on-black -black crime in a serious way, not just as an edgy subject for a talk show, but in a real way to move people, to move the needle. All right. Next stop, the Pacific Northwest. You've heard of uh, Nike, of course, right? And here is their big spokesman. What's his name again? I can't even remember. Colin Kaepernick, right? And uh, just do it. They chose that guy who doesn't like America to be their spokesmodel, I guess. Well, it's interesting about the Nike sneaker company. It was started by a guy named, uh, there it is, an ordinary, why did it have to get so political? I don't think the guy who started the company, uh, his name was Phil Knight. And he started it all the way back, I think, in the late 60s or 70s. He's the guy on the left. That's Phil Knight. 
Well, he's still technically in charge of Nike. He's uh, in his 80s now. And guess what? He is totally, totally flabbergasted by what's going on in Oregon. And what is going on in Oregon? They have essentially legalized any drug you want. You can shoot up wherever you are and uh, go for it. Just go for it. And he is heartbroken that his uh, beloved state is in such decline. What is he doing? The liberal woke Nike company has a emeritus chairman who's giving $1 million to the Republican candidate for governor. Christine Drazen, the Republican, she has a real shot to win in liberal woke Oregon. And by the way, they're not all liberal and woke. The good people in Oregon, she could do it. And she just got a million bucks from uh, the chairman emeritus of Nike. Good luck to her. Thank you, Phil Knight. We'll be right back. Guess what? Democrats are scared. Some of the political experts have been telling us that it's not looking good. This red tsunami wave, whatever you want to call it, looks like it's going to happen. We'll be right back. But we all got to do our part. Be right back. Oh, boy, they are scared. Democrats all over the country. Uh, looks like they're going to lose. Looks like they could pick up Republicans. 60 seats in the House of Representatives. I'm actually not affiliated with any party, but we need a change, right? A big one. And the Democrats miscalculated. Take a look at the top issues on voters' minds right now, okay? This just came out. What are people thinking about out there? Price increases, inflation, economy and jobs, immigration, crime and drugs. <laughs> what have they been campaigning on, the Democrats? Abortion on January 6th, way down on the list. In fact, January 6th is like the 97th thing on the list. Where is it? Uh, <laughs> way, way, way down. Um, but they thought it was going to be a winning issue for them, that and abortion. And it's blowing up in their face, in part because it doesn't sound like they're pro-choice anymore. It sounds like they really like abortion. Do you believe there should be any restrictions on abortion? I, I don't. I believe that's a choice between a woman and her doctor. You know, you think you know better than women and doctors about abortion. What I'm doing is I am protecting your constitutional rights that you have lost. A core protection that they've known for 50 years was taken from them by an extremist Supreme Court. We're a country of expanding rights. Now we're, you know, with the Supreme Court, we're taking rights away. I thought women had rights and they were free like everybody else, but evidently they're not. A little bit too much enthusiasm, abortion, abortion. They like it. They like it. If you want to get one, you'll be able to get one. Um, and then the January 6th stuff. People don't care. So January 6th was, in my mind, a culmination of months and months of lies and misinformation. It's something I never expected to see, to have uh, an insurrection at our nation's capital. I think our democracy was uh, put at risk on that day. We have people scaling the Capitol, hitting the Capitol Police with lead pipes across the head, and we can't get bipartisanship. On January 6th, we saw the most violent assault uh, on our Capitol since 1812. We saw what happened on January 6th, and his cult of followers... All right, and it's on and on president. and on with this stuff. It just... 
and it didn't resonate. Nobody cares. We know what we went through with Black Lives Matter. We saw what happened on January 6th, and Americans know how to put things in perspective as much as they want to hype it. So these guys, they're... Their messaging has been terrible. What they stand for is not good for America. Let's take Fetterman, actually. Not only is his messaging terrible, he really has trouble saying anything. <laughs> Send me to, did you see that, D.C.? Hey, I'm sorry, but the stroke, I think it's rendered him ineligible to uh, be a senator. Uh, give the nomination to his wife, something. Mark Kelly comes across as a real moderate guy, astronaut and all that stuff, but, uh, man, very, very liberal. And he's there in Arizona and voted to defund the border wall. Good luck with that one. Raphael Warnock, I want to actually, I'm not going to quote his, uh, him. I'll quote his ex-wife. He ran over my foot. I think that uh, finishes him. Uh, Tim Ryan, oh, yeah, he wants us dead. He wants anybody in the MAGA movement dead. We have to kill and confront that movement. Uh, Hobbs, uh, Katie Hobbs, is that her name? Yeah, she doesn't really say all that much. Uh, she's been hiding a lot. She is very, very much afraid of Carrie Lake, the superstar Republican candidate. And um, all right, so look, they've got a bad hand to play, all right? The Biden administration, it's struggling. It's floundering. So they put Pete Buttigieg out there because he's their resident intellect, their resident smart guy. Uh, he was on the Sunday shows yesterday trying to tell everybody how good things are in America. Uh, there's something very insincere about him. I'm not buying it. Are you? We can't turn back on the progress that's been made, especially because we know there's still a long way to go. We have been right doing now, the right thing for the American people with proposals that are uh, and achievements legislatively that are popular because they make sense. Uh, you know, in some ways, true, having uh, achieved so much legislatively makes it uh, hard to talk about it all at once because there are just so many accomplishments and we're doing everything we can to strengthen the foundations of the American economy. Uh, and that means has talked about doing something about it for decades. And under this president, it has finally gotten done. Uh, good luck with that. Good luck. When I hear him talk about all the wonderful things they've done, uh, I realize they're going to lose badly, very, very badly. Hey, I want to go back to the uh, Georgia debate from Friday night. Another little nugget that I found very interesting. Take a look. Senator Warnock, this question is for you. You have said the new Georgia voting laws implemented after the 2020 election create many obstacles for underserved communities. Yet there was record turnout in Georgia in the primary this May. According to research done by the Brennan Center for Justice, the African-American vote grew approximately 50 percent from 2018 to 2022's primaries. Senator, can you explain how the law negatively impacts minority votes? It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, they lied about it. They lied about it. They ooh, caused all kinds of trouble. Hey, remember, because of the Georgia voting law, they actually moved the all-star game. Major League Baseball had a position on the on the Georgia voting law because they were afraid and intimidated by people like Stacey Abrams. Can you believe it? I still remember just day in, day out. It was like they, I don't know what they were thought happened, but it didn't happen. But this is what they said happened. Let me be crystal clear and unequivocal. Uh, this legislation is unacceptable. Uh, it is a step backwards uh, and it does not 
uh, promote uh, principles we have stood for in Georgia. Who are they trying to keep from voting? Black people, brown people, college students, uh, people who live on tribal reservations, trying to keep those folks from voting. It is a redux of Jim Crow uh, in a suit and tie. This is an existential threat, right? This is a, an attack on our elections infrastructure. <laughs> voting is through the roof. People know how to get identification. People know how to put a stamp on things. And Raphael Warnock got himself, no problem, nobody blocked him. Of course, that doesn't happen in America. And that's not what the Georgia voting law was about. It was about safe and fair elections, okay? Hey, one more thing about the Georgia senatorial debate. Even though they asked some pretty good questions, some of those uh, moderators were kind of snooty and they totally overreacted reacted to uh, Herschel taking out his wallet. Never, I've never threatened a shootout with the police. Well, and now I have to respond to that. We are, we are, we are no, moving no, 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 on, no. gentlemen. I have to respond to that. And you know what's so funny? I am with, with many police officers. <laughs> and at the same time... Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, no, 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 Mr. No, no, no. Walker, Mr. Walker, excuse me, truth, Mr. Walker, please, out of respect, I, I, I need here. to let you know, Mr. Yes. Walker, you are very well yes. aware of the rules tonight. Yes. And you have a prop. Yes. That is not allowed, sir. Yes. I ask you to put that prop away. Well, it's not a prop. It, it, this is real. And he said, I but, have a prop. I never went to law enforcement. It is a prop, Mr. Walker. Yes. Excuse me, sir. Yes. You're very well aware of the rules. Aren't you? Well, Aren't he, you aware of he the brought up the truth. Well, let's talk about the truth. Th thank you for putting that yes. prop away. It was his wallet. It was, they make it sound like he came out with a toy dog or something like that. It wasn't a prop. Anyway, one other word about Herschel Walker. This whole thing about paying for an abortion allegedly back in 2009. Number one, I don't believe it, actually. And number two, even if it is true, people change. Uh, a lot has happened to me since 2009. I am not the same person I was 13 years ago. And also this, the fake news, they are trying to drag this story out. It broke two weeks ago. And by saving little nuggets, they want to keep it going. Take a look. NBC News has now spoken to that former girlfriend who provided us with what she says is a copy of a $700 check that Walker gave her to pay for the abortion and a receipt from the medical center in Georgia where she alleges it took place. NBC News is not revealing the woman's identity or the documents to protect the privacy of all parties. Now, protect the privacy of all parties, including Herschel Walker. Look, uh, one of the reasons why I doubt the story, they have not provided the documents already. Two weeks ago, the story breaks, and they say they have a receipt, they say they have a check, but they don't show us for privacy matters. Now, let's say they do exist. They're just trying to delay it, you know, put out little pieces to keep the story going all the way up until Election Day. I don't think it's going to stop Herschel. No way. Good luck, sir. Hey, we'll be right back with Carrie Lake. Uh, she's not on the show. I just want to show you this little highlight clip from one of the most extraordinary press conferences I've ever seen. This woman is taking Arizona by storm. We'll be right back. All I can, All I can say... Is that the fake news just doesn't get it? You know? uh, they really don't. And uh, they set up a debate for Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs. Is that her name? Yeah. 
in, um, in Arizona. PBS did. They were supposed to have both candidates debate. Well, uh, somehow it turned out that Katie Hobbs doesn't want to debate Carrie Lake. I can understand why. So PBS was going to grant each candidate a half hour by themselves, right? Alone, no debate. And that was not what Carrie Lake signed up for. That's not a debate. That's nothing. And PBS is a public institution, right? So is ASU, I think, the university where this was going to be. So um, she's not going for the half-hour solo appearance, but she did meet the media, all 10,000 reporters that were waiting for her. And I think this is a master class in how to handle the fake news. Take a look. Unfortunately, I'm running against a coward who's afraid to stand on a debate stage and talk about what she wants to do for Arizona. The people in the liberal press need to demand that your candidate, the one you guys are backing in the liberal press, show up and debate. The people of Arizona deserve this. All right. And there were some good give and takes between her and the reporters who were pushing back. Uh, but she won. She won. Hey, the main, mainstream media, the fake news, they are terrified right now. And the Sunday shows, you know, they used to pretend that they were somewhat neutral. This time, however, it's all Democrats all the time, totally, completely partisan. I see two George Stephanopoulos there. Um, and they're just not fooling around. They don't want to take any chances. So Democrat after Democrat, uh, Trump hater after Trump hater. Let's see. On Meet the Press, they had Bernie, Bernie Sanders. And, uh, you know, you know about Bernie, right? Hates Trump, hates, uh, what are these talking about? People living paycheck to paycheck. We should raise the minimum wage right. to a living wage. We heard this all before, Bernie. Thank you very much. And then right after him, they had this guy, Evan McMullen. Uh, a total Trump hater from uh, Utah. Needs more independent leaders who will stand up to party bosses of both sides, the special interest groups who own too many of our politicians. Oh, he's going off on special interest groups. How unique. Uh, let's see. And then they had some woman from the January 6th committee who I had never heard of. Let's hear what she had to say. Here on out will be marred with violence and with fraud because in a case where that happened, these people were not held accountable. And so that's the purpose of this committee is to ensure that we tell the full truth, allow government officials to make changes to the system. Full truth. Full truth. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'll get to the full truth in a moment about January 6th. And then over on ABC. Their favorite Republican, Trump-hating baby Adam. What happened on January 6th was terrible. What led up to that and what happened since is what I'm more worried about. And democracies are not defined by those bad days, but how we come back from those bad days. He thinks this that's a good, process. clever line. Is he is such a silly people. guy. Um, oh, and then uh, a little bit later in the show... Chris Christie dared to say there might be another side to January 6th. The mainstream media does not and will not allow that. Take a look. And so there are lots of Republicans across this country who just say, there's nobody there to argue the other side. Kinzinger and Cheney don't argue the other side to the extent that there is some arguments there. Um, but there's, and that's no, what, there's no but yeah, other what is side. The other side like Chris? There's no other side. No, 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 no. Stop right there. No other side. No other yeah, there is another side. There's also no cross-examination, all kinds of hearsay evidence. This thing was a farce. Cassidy Hutchinson talking about all that stuff that Tony's told her. Tony said this. Tony, Tony then told me that. And Tony said this about the president. It was ludicrous. Totally. And by the way, why was Cassidy Hutchinson and the pretty ones 
live and unedited and it was all there. Yet when Attorney General Barr testified, it was behind closed doors. They taped it and only released literally like eight to 12 second segments. Little answers here and there. Very, very strange. And of course, near and dear to my heart, I want to find out who the hell was that little cop waving everybody inside. Okay, you get this? This is the other side. We want to know about this stuff. Uh, why did those police officers just stand by as everybody walked into the Capitol in this uh, in this scene right here? What is going on there? Uh, why did those three cops decide to take a coffee break uh, and just walk away so all hell could break loose just before? There they go. Uh, and a few moments later, Ashley Babbitt is shot. And what about Ashley Babbitt? Let's put Michael Byrd on the stand, huh? Why does he just get to talk to Lester Holt? How about talking to the American people? How about talking to the grand jury? Ashley Babbitt was an unarmed woman, did not pose a threat, deadly or otherwise, to anyone, and shot and killed on national TV. And they're letting this guy get away with it. No, 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 no. And by the way, there was all kinds of FBI agents and law enforcement all over the place. How many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6th? Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. No, 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 no. That's not going to cut it. I am looking forward to three weeks from tomorrow. We'll see what happens. Okay, stay with us. New rules about police chases. Um, you won't be seeing them as much as you used to. Cops are going to have to get their boss's permission before they give pursuit. We'll be right back. Well, it's a staple of police work, right? The car chase, the pursuit, a bad guy running away. Uh, cops have to get him, right? And sometimes that involves, well, chasing a guy in a car or even on foot. You see it all the time in the news and even in cop shows and in movies. But it almost seems as though it's essentially been outlawed in Washington state. Uh, there's a new law on the books. It's called Vehicle Pursuit Policy HB 1054. And I think the most bizarre part is you got to get a supervisor's authorization before you chase the bad guy. Let's bring in Sheriff Brian Burnett. He's from Chelan County. That's right in the middle of Washington State. Sheriff Burnett, uh, welcome to you, sir. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me on today. You bet. And just how much has this new law impeded your work? Uh, a lot, you know, and, and we're not a big agency. The average law enforcement size agency in the state of Washington is only 14 uh, commissioned law enforcement officers. But you have hundreds of agencies here, 39 counties, and with us being one, with about 2,900 square miles for to cover here in Chelan County. But it's a big deal across the state of Washington, a big deal. All right. So let's go through the new policies and procedures, maybe, maybe some... Before we go to that, what was the policy beforehand? I mean, there must have been some times where you could not pursue. When would an officer not choose to pursue somebody? 
Well, absolutely. Most of that was uh, agency driven based on their policy. Uh, a lot of agencies and inner cities had much more stricter policies than uh, other agencies. But, you know, everything's always been about risk analysis. If you're training properly for your law enforcement agency on uh, down the line, uh, you're giving them the tools, the information. Uh, there's a lot of different things that you take into account for the time of day, location, direction of travel, weather, uh, lighting, speeds. You know, are, are you are you coming through school zones at, at 3.30 in the afternoon? Probably not a good time. And then you're also looking at the cause and the effect. What is it the person that you're chasing for is is wanted for? Do you know who that person is? Can you identify them later? Obviously, is it a, is a, is a, is it a risk, a public safety risk, if that person is to get away? And so all of these things that law enforcement officers have to do in just a matter of seconds is they really that information to dispatch and, and, and proceed on to do their job. All right, let's go through all of the things that are in the law. By the way, it seems like just driving away, like, for instance, if you try to pull in a moment, we'll get to that in a moment. But if somebody just pulls away, you're trying to pull them over, say, for speeding or a traffic infraction, and they decide to go 100 miles per hour, you can't chase them? Absolutely not under those circumstances. The only thing that we're going to be able to use now, what changed was a lot of the things was is you could no longer uh, use reasonable suspicion to uh, to chase that vehicle or that wanted person or unknown wanted person. And you had to have probable cause and to establish probable cause. You actually have to know who that is. And not only do probable cause, now you have to have only certain laws, uh, only certain crimes are going to qualify that. And then you go right down the checkoff list to, to make sure that that works. And and there's some pretty serious, dangerous crimes that you I think the people would be pretty shocked to know that people can can drive away and law enforcement's got to not just stop pursuing. They actually got to pull over to the side of the road, turn their emergency lights and yeah. sirens off. And, and, and most likely I'm going to turn and go the other direction. All right. Number one, probable cause to believe certain kinds of violent crimes or sex crimes were committed. Probable cause. Uh, all right. At the, this doesn't seem that unreasonable. Can you live with this part of the law? Absolutely, we can. All right. Under under more circumstances, but there are some couple cases though that if we were to describe to you, you'd be you'd be blown away. No, the, the, the devil's in the details. The devil's in the details. This does not make our community safer whatsoever. Let me go to full screen, and I'm on your side here because again, the supervisor has to authorize the pursuit. That seems totally untenable. And this reasonable suspicion a driver is impaired. Now. All right. So probable cause that a violent crime was committed and you have to assume you have to have reasonable suspicion that the driver's impaired as well or instead of or. In no, that, that, that's one or the other. Not 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 together. All right. Very good. Pursuit is necessary for the purpose of identifying or apprehending the person. Uh, again, this is one of those I guess we can live with. Correct. Uh, yes, under certain circumstances. But I mean, we could we could throw out some ones where you think you know who that person is or they're in a stolen vehicle and they just got reported that they they create that they just uh, did a certain crime and you have victims, but you can't ID the person at that time. So it may not qualify under this law. Driver is considered to be number four, an imminent threat such that the risks of not pursuing him outweigh the risks of pursuit. Uh, what's your reaction to that part? 
Well, we've always trained our staff that way across the nation, I would hope, but certainly in, in uh, Washington State and most definitely in Chelan County. We're always like, that's that part of that risk analysis. You're going right down. Does, does the, the risk to the public safety, the safety of the public, uh, if that person continues to get away, outweigh the risk that it, uh, of taking them into custody. So, yes, you've got to take all those things in consideration. Remember, these things happen yeah. in a split second. Absolutely. In this part, this is the part that really seems undoable, uh, not doable. A supervisor has authorized pursuit. you got to check with your boss. Now, you're, you're a cop, you're a sheriff. Is this practical? Can you do it this way? Uh, and, and under most circumstances, yes, but there are some times, especially smaller agencies, they may not have the ability to have a supervisor out at all times, or for whatever reason, there's just a, a little bit of a lap over gap in the in the in the late hours, early hours of the morning, when shifts are overlapping, uh, and they don't have a supervisor. So that's one of the things that some smaller agencies are looking at. Uh, can can we be uh, in compliance with the law when we don't have a supervisor out? Because certainly we're not going to have to call somebody and wake them up. That's not going to work at three thirty, yeah. four o'clock in the morning. Final thing, if uh, you guys say deviate from these um, guidelines, this law, you're potentially in trouble. Do you know what the penalty is for violating uh, HB 1054? Well, well, a lot of the stuff that Washington State has passed, this is just one of the laws. We could it could move if you find somebody in violation of certain things uh, and they're held against this, they could go towards uh, decriminal or decertification. So they they lose their commission officer certification, which is their livelihood. All right. Well, your job just got tougher, and um, I'm sorry about that. But let's stay in touch, and uh, we're on your side, Sheriff Burnett. All the best to the folks in Chelan County. Okay. Thank you for having us on. We appreciate it. You bet. To be continued, and we'll be right back. You know, a lot of black men sometimes feel like they're ignored or they're put down, particularly sometimes even by black women in the media. So this is not that. But I do hear Roland's point that felt ignored. But you feel ignored and then you go over to the other side. The oppressed feel oppressed. So then you go and try to align with the oppressor. So I'm not putting black men down. But sometimes it's like, well, some of you Kevin Samuels following Tariq Nasheed quoting people, please look at the truth and see what's happening and get in line with some of the black women. Is majority, like he said, vote Democrat. Uh, that was quite a statement from Tiffany Cross on MSNBC. Black men get behind black women and vote. Vote this particular way. Well, uh, this came up uh, in an amazing article in Newsweek, newsweek.com. Uh, the Democrats are losing black men. The Moynihan Report explains why by Delano Squires. He joins us right now. Welcome to Newsmax, Delano. How are you? Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. Uh, Sir, do me a favor. Could you explain a little bit, well, what you're getting at? Why are they leaving the party? And, and what does Daniel Patrick Moynihan have to do with it? So I start the piece by saying that any political party in any, any part of the world would love to have close to 80% support in a presidential election. So, so it's not that there's a mass defection per se, but... When, when a party like the Democrats, particularly the Democrats, believe that they are entitled to the to the vote of every black person and every black man, then even a slight defection will seem like a national emergency. So, so that clip that you played with Tiffany Cross, and you you hear her saying that black men should get in line, quote unquote, behind black women and vote for Stacey Abrams. 
That's the, the Democrats' worldview summed up in one line. Black women lead, black men follow. And I, and I, and I go back to the Moynihan report, because this is one of the things that, that um, Daniel Patrick Moynihan pointed out when he was observing some of the issues within black families in the 1960s. He said that there's a, there's a certain matriarchal culture um, in some black families that reverses the roles of men and women and leaves men feeling with relatively low power in their relationships and in their homes. And he ended that report by saying that this is, he wrote it as a, as a case for national action. The problem is the Democrats took the exact wrong course of action, which is to say expand government more, um, replace the need for a father with uh, government bureaucracy, um, incentivize single women, women uh, for the most part, marrying the government, and relieving men of the responsibilities that they have towards the women um, and the children that they create together. Um, and you've seen how that's played out over the last 60 years. So I think what you're seeing now in public is just um, sort of the Band-Aid being ripped off. The mask is starting to slip. Because, Greg, you, you know this. In nature, weakness is always met with aggression. And these people think that black men are weak, and that's why they feel comfortable criticizing them this way in public. So Daniel Patrick Moynihan points out in that famous Moynihan report uh, back in 1965, 25% of black children were born out of wedlock. And now we're up to something like 70% today, um, which is obviously a tragedy. And we don't have anybody like Daniel Patrick Moynihan, you know, somebody of that caliber, of that stature, talking about these issues. Uh, and I, I look back, and he really was almost heroic. How do we have this conversation again? It's not happening now. We're blaming the cops. We're blaming a lot of other things. We're not talking about what's really going on. I, I think one, one, of the, the, one of the first things we need to do if we want to have this conversation uh, and, and have an honest public conversation is to address the elephant in the room. And I think one of the reasons that that report didn't go as far or wasn't accept, as accepted as it should have been is because um, his opponents basically said he's trying to blame black people for their problems, right? Yeah. So where the notion of blaming the victim comes in. So one of the first things I would do is basically deracialize the conversation because the non-marital birth rate among whites in America today is higher than it was among blacks in 1965 um, because at the end of the day, the family is important, regardless of the skin color of the people we're talking about. That is something else. So that there, white people are on a similar trajectory. We're all in this together. Delano Squires, amazing work at Delano Squires. Check it out on Twitter or go to Delano heritage.org. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll see you tomorrow.